Lord, thank you. Uh, thank you so much again. Like we keep, uh, we keep saying thank you today because you're so good to us, Lord. You, uh, you welcome us and, into, your, into your family, Lord. You speak to us. Thank you for the, um, thank you for your spirit, Lord. We, we welcome you, Lord, as we've been welcoming you all morning. But uh, we pray that we'd, we'd know you more, Lord, we would encounter you today. Lord, you speak to our hearts and you change us from the inside out, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be, to be your witnesses in our city, in our nation, Lord. Amen. All right. Politics. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's quite hard to escape it, isn't it? To escape the noise of politics at the moment. I mean, uh, in case you don't know, three weeks to go. So you've got to make up your mind who you're going to vote for. Um, three weeks until our general elections. And um, hopeful, it is hard. hopeful politicians are out and about trying to impress us so that we'll vote for them. And I don't know, if you're a little bit like me, I'm... Um, um, I'm turning 46 this year, so, you know, I've been through a few elections, and you get a little bit jaded, don't you? You, little, you go, oh, my goodness, you know, all these promises, but, you know, what, what actually what is actually going to happen? And, yeah, you know, you vote for a party, and you hope that they're going to do what they say, and um, sometimes they do, and, but you can't be sure, you know. Uh, and, and then this year, it seems a, bit, a little bit nasty, you know? The elections seems a little bit nasty, you know? Um, it seems like, like the different parties are, are just really trying, trying quite hard to show how the others are can't do what they're gonna, what they're promising. Eh? Where's the money gonna come from? <laughs> and anyway, I, you know, I don't know. I, th- I just think that we should be, we should be praying, eh? trying to find out what God wants us to do. You know, don't try to direct us how we can have have wisdom, give us wisdom to know how how we should vote. Um, but also. Uh, in, in election time, uh, we, we, we hear about uh, the different candidates' life history. Hey, so, um, so uh, you know, like I think re- in recent news, there was um, a fellow and we find out what he, what he said 20 years ago. And, um, and they might have changed their opinion since then. But, um, but, you know, it comes to light and everyone tries to jump on them and go, that's uh, what you said wasn't a good thing to say or whatever it is. And, but I think that the, the, the reason for this is we're, we're trying to find out uh, if, if, this, if the people that we're voting for or the people that we might vote for have, have integrity. We, we've got to have some way of knowing, like, are they, are, are they, are they, are they who they say they are? And, and so, you know, one of the ways that, um, you know, uh, we, we try to find out is by looking at what they said 20 years ago. Man, don't look at what I said 20 years ago, but... Um, wouldn't, wouldn't be, wouldn't be, wouldn't be good. So we've been we're tracking through uh, Luke's Luke's gospel, especially through the lens of uh, of walking the walk. You know, seeing what Jesus says, seeing what he does, and how we can live according to him. Uh, Jesus is the is the ultimate word worker. He he does what he says. So and often he, he says he says something and then he does it. He says it and then he does it. He's the word worker. Uh, integrity. Integrity means to be I mean it means to be whole and undivided. Like through like through and through. Integrated. Whole and undivided. And the opposite of integrity uh, might be hypocrisy, where what you see on the outside is actually what's not going on inside. But Jesus is is fully integrated. So we can read about what Jesus says in the Bible and then we see what he does, and it's like fully fully aligns, you know, fully integrated. 
what Jesus says and what he promises, he, he, he then does. He, he, he never fails to deliver. But when you look at some of his followers, uh, it's, a, it's a bit different, hey? The disciples, it's a bit different. They're a mixed bunch. They're a, a motley crew. <laughs> You have, uh, you have a fisherman and a tax collector. Like last week I was talking about um, Peter, Simon Peter and, and, and Levi, also known as Matthew. Um, you, have, you have revolutionaries. Um, and you have uh, most of them, actually, we don't know anything about their background. It, but Jesus cho- chose these 12 men to be his closest, closest followers, his disciples. And he, and he invested himself into them and he, he tried to train them up as best as, best as, um, best as they would be trained. And if you're, so if you're familiar with the Old Testament, uh, you might remember that there were 12 tribes of Israel uh, named after the sons of Jacob, who was renamed Israel. There's a lot of renaming that goes on in the Bible, eh? Renaming. Jesus' 12 disciples uh, represent Israel. So they, in a way, they represent the whole of Israel. But they don't necessarily represent each of the, each of the 12 tribes. Like a, uh, the logical part of me wants there to be like, you know, a representative of each tribe. But, but that's not what Jesus was doing. He's bringing together these different people, and they all get to be part of, part of his kingdom, part of what he's doing. And, and it kind of represents this new thing that Jesus is doing. And he kind of is leaning back into the, into the old, like it's, like, it's uh, like standing on the old, but it's doing a new thing. And so when you think about like, like two of them, I think this is quite funny. You've got, you got Matthew, who we talked about last week, the, the tax collector. So he's someone who collaborated with the Romans, uh, with the Roman occupiers. And then also in the 12, you've got Simon, who's Simon the Zealot. And uh, a zealot was somebody who, who might have fought or, or resisted some way against the Roman occupiers. That's what zealots did. And so you've got these two guys, a collaborator and a, and a revolutionary, but they're all part of the same gang. And imagine if these two guys were in the same church. Like, it would just be, well, it could be fun. It could be explosive. Opposite poles, but now brought together. And they're somehow functioning in unity. And I think it's just a, such a beautiful picture of, of uh, what, Jesus, what Jesus is about and the, and the kinds of people Jesus brings together. If Jesus was a political party leader and the 12 disciples were candidates, the media would have, would have a field day exposing their past It'd be all over, all over the news, eh? But this is the upside-down nature of God's, of God's kingdom. In uh, 1 Corinthians 1.27, it, it says that God takes the foolish things to shame the wise. He takes the weak to shame the strong, which is one of my favorite verses. Uh, you know, because, I, you know, I feel pretty foolish a lot of times. So anyway, they go, yes, Lord, you can take even someone like me and you can shame the wise or the weak. I mean, I'm, obviously I'm not weak, but... Um, <laughs> To shame the strong. <laughs> Sorry, I wear baggy shirts. Hey, it's just to hide my muscular frame. Um, anyway, lift your eyes up, okay? <laughs> Ladies, okay? <laughs> eyes are up here. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> think pure thoughts. The verse of the day, the, the verse of the day I think it was today was like, the, uh, uh, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Okay, so... Okay, pure purity. Anyway, so when the disciples stuffed up, and they stuffed up all the time, you read the Gospels, and these guys are like expert uh, stuffer-upperers. Is that a word? Well, it is now. And they, 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 they argued about hierarchy, like who's going to get to sit next to Jesus and his kingdom, and they acted on behalf of the devil. Do you know that? 
You know, when Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, it's because uh, Peter was, was acting on behalf of the devil. They, they, disowned, they disowned Jesus, and, and one of them betrayed him. And yet Jesus still, still loved them, and he still accepted them. Now, sometimes when people think of, of God, uh, and they think that God is, God is harsh, that God is a harsh judge. But, then, but think about, compare that to our, our, our cultural climate and, and cancel culture. Cancel culture is brutal. You might have said something 20 years ago, and it ends up in the, in the media or uh, whatever, and you're done. That's, that's, your, that's your career all over and done with. But God doesn't cancel anybody, anybody. Instead, he's, he's loving and he's kind, and he, yes, he's just. This is like important, like God is just, but he, he redeems people. He welcomes us. That was a long introduction. So today I want to um, re- revisit. I'm just trying to draw together a whole lot of threads. But I want to revisit a little bit what, a bit what I talked about last week. But I'm hoping to kind of like hit a different angle and, um, and land on, on a little bit of what God's kingdom is like and how we can, how we can take hold of it in our, in our own lives. All righty. So Luke chapter 4. You'll be getting sick of this passage, but really it's such an awesome passage. I love it. We can uh, read this over and over again. Jesus stands up. He's, he's at his, his local church, uh, Capital Vineyard Church. Yeah. Now, it was a synagogue in, in Nazareth. And he stands up and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see. Not quite. I always test it out. Yeah. Not quite. Next week. That the oppressed will be set free. That the time of the Lord's favour has come. <clears throat> this, this, is a, this is kingdom declaration. This is kingdom in, intent. And it would make an awesome political slogan, although it wouldn't really fit on a, on a billboard. You've got to be short and snappy, like, in it for you, or, um, or take back our country, or whatever it is, right? But this would be an awesome political slogan. Jesus promises... Make, make most of the, the, the political aspirations sound just, just puny eh? and weak and superficial. Jesus is saying, I've got good news. I've got good news for the poor. And, and I think the poor, like we talked about it last week, the poor is not just people who are, who are short on cash. The poor might include um, people who are, who are outcasts or, or looked down upon, and they might have actually loads of money, and they might be whatever. It might be people who are, who are poor in spirit. It, includes, it somehow includes everybody. Good news for the poor. Freedom, healing, liberation, or God's favor, which again, like I talked about last week, God's favor, we're, we're God's favorites. We are accepted by God, the, year of the, the, the acceptable year of the Lord, God's favor. And, and this, uh, this is, uh, this is uh, like leaning back into Old Testament prophecies of what the kingdom of God would be like. And the people of Israel, they just couldn't wait. They were hanging out for the Messiah to come and for the kingdom of God to come and, and to arrive and for this new day, like... Uh, Make Israel great again kind of thing. And it's going to be awesome. They couldn't wait for it. But, and then Jesus is saying, this is happening. This is happening, guys. This is happening here. This is happening now. The time is fulfilled. Right now, in their time. But, and then they try to kill him. Actually, straight away. He says these things, and they try to kill him straight away. And you go, what is going on? Like, what has happened? And it's because he, he, he's not doing it the right way, or at least the way they think it should be done. Well, he's not saying the things. He's saying some of the things they expected, but some of the things are not the, what they expected. The kingdom that Jesus demonstrated didn't look right. 
It's like straight away, this is uh, Luke chapter 4, and if, uh, if you read chapter 4, and I encourage you to go and like, read it for yourself. He starts, talking about, uh, he starts talking about foreigners and how God healed uh, foreigners and, and saved people in other countries. And this kind of flips a switch and the people listening, and they're like, no. <laughs> and, and, then, and then he goes uh, and, he, and he spends time with sinners and outcasts and, and people like, like Matthew, the tax collector, and, and, he, and he went into their homes and he would eat and, and he would drink, eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. Uh, this is not right. <laughs> this is not what the kingdom of God's meant to look like. These pe- the people who had really, really high hopes for the kingdom of God were, were the Pharisees. The kingdom that they expected was, was 100% based on the old covenant. Uh, old covenant, think of the Ten Commandments. Uh, think of the, the daily sacrifices, or the rituals, ritual purity, and, and so on and on and on and on. And, the, and, and the, so the kingdom they, they were expecting was like all like encompassed in this, in the old covenant. There were rules about how far you could walk on the Sabbath. Like how many of you... How many of you um, Walk to CV this morning. Anyone? Uh, everyone drove. Cool. Well, you walked a little. You might have walked from there. Yeah, you flew. Wow. Today? <laughs> oh, that, okay. You broke the Sabbath rules. You're, you're allowed to travel 1.2 kilometer, kilometers. You're allowed to walk 1.2 kilometers, which is a little bit further than the train station. Not very far, eh? <laughs> you did. Yep. And the Pharisees had this idea that if, if they could get all of Israel following the, following the Old Covenant, if they could get everyone being obedient to these really, really like harsh and heavy standards, like their interpretation of the Old Covenant as well, then, then okay, then the stage is going to be ready. Then the, the Messiah will come, the new day is coming, the kingdom of God is going to be ushered in. If only we can get everybody to behave themselves. Robert, <laughs> flying on the Sabbath. <laughs> but Jesus turns that idea completely on its head. And instead, the kingdom of God was, was dependent on him. It wasn't dependent on what everyone else was doing. It was dependent on what he was doing. God in the flesh, God himself had come to usher in his kingdom. And when we left off last week, we left uh, Jesus at a party. Jesus is at this party put on by Matthew, the, the ex-tax collector. That kind of sounds quite cool, ex-tax, ex-tax collector. And, and Matthew, as we, as we talked about, wanted all of his buddies, all these other tax collectors and, and lowlifes to meet Jesus because, because he, he recognised that Jesus loved him and Jesus, uh, Jesus saved him. So he puts on this massive banquet. It says like this big feast. And Jesus goes along and he eats and drinks with them. And this really winds up the Pharisees, eh? They're like, hang on, mate. You're, you're, you're spending time, you're eating and drinking, which is eating and drinking, I think I mentioned it, like really significant in Jewish culture, kind of indicates acceptance. You're eating and drinking with the wrong kinds of people. You're, you're hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And uh, in the NLT, it says you're, you're hanging out with scum. And Jesus says, this is, says, you know, I'm, I'm like a doctor. And if you're a doctor and, and there's nobody that's sick, then you're actually out of a job. So Jesus is the doctor and he's come to treat the sick. That's his job. He's come to call people who know they're sinners and need to repent. 
So I keep reading from the Bible. It's good. Luke 5. Luke 5.55. So remember, we're, we're in this moment. We're in the, kind of like this feasting, feasting uh, idea. One day, some people said to Jesus, this is Luke 55, verse 33. One day, some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? <laughs> Jesus responded, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. My first point from this is following Jesus actually sounds like quite a lot of fun. His disciples have this reputation. See what their reputation is. Why are your followers always eating and drinking? <laughs> and this made them pretty angry, eh? Surely this can't be right. Surely if Jesus was a man of God, then he'll be fasting and not having a good time. <laughs> I still wonder, like, how many of us have a view of God that is actually pretty stingy, that he's actually mean, and he doesn't want us to have fun. He's a mean and grumpy old man <laughs> who wants us to be miserable. Not that fasting is not that fasting equals misery. Yeah, it makes you hungry, yes, but, but I find fasting actually like deeply nourishing. But the, the point is that Jesus is, is like saying that now is, not, now is not the time for fasting. Like if, okay, if you're going to go a wedding, then that is not the day to be fasting. Unless you're like, I don't know, you're like next level spiritual, okay. But I reckon that if, you're, if, you've got, if you know you've got a wedding coming up, do your fasting now so that by the time you go to the wedding, you can like eat and drink and have fun. This is the time for celebration. He's saying, this is the time for celebration. He is the groom. He is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And then that, that last line, but someday the groom will be taken away from them and, and then they will fast. There's this hint of, of, something, of something coming, eh? Which is maybe something a little bit dark, a little bit sad. Kingdom tension, Kingdom tension. I think it points to the, the now and not yet nature of the kingdom of God. Like Jesus is saying, he, he has come. He, he is here now. He's the groom who has come. And, and he will come again. And so right now, right now, oh, I did this update on my iPad, and now Siri keeps activating. It's always interesting. I, I don't know if Siri is God, John, but... We can talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> did I tell you about the time that I was, I was worship leading one day, I had my iPad, and then my friend FaceTimed me. And I, I'm like trying to think about God, and then his, my friend's face popped up. Anyway, so here we are. So Jesus, kingdom tension. I want to just talk a little bit about, the, about kingdom tension, the now and not yet nature of the kingdom of God. Right now, we're in the, in the time... Uh, time between Jesus' comings, right? Jesus has come, and then he ascended. He's, he's now in heaven. He's with us, but he's in heaven. We can't see him, but he's going to come again. So we're in the time between times. Using, uh, using theological language, we're, uh, we're in the time between the, in, in the inauguration of the kingdom of God. I love that word, inauguration of the kingdom of God, when Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God. And in the future, 
will, there'll be the consummation of the kingdom of God, when Jesus will return and, and all of the prophetic promises of God's kingdom will be completed. Yes. The book of Revelation in chapter 9, it speaks of this future moment when, when the groom will come for his bride, the church. And there's going to be a massive banquet, even bigger than Matthew's banquet, a wedding feast. And we're all invited to, the, to that banquet. So this feast that Jesus is at with Matthew and the tax collectors, it's a bit like a foretaste. Yeah, I'm not, I'm sure, I'm not, I'm not saying that Matthew was like having this feast to point to something in the future. But, but looking back, we can go, this is a little bit like a foretaste of a future moment, a prophetic picture of that future moment when we get to feast with, with Jesus. Here in the, here in the vineyard, we, we, we talk about the inbreaking of God's kingdom. And we kind of look for a little moment. We look for those moments where, you know, the kingdom of God might be breaking in. And sometimes that might be like, like healing. And, uh, you know, we always want to make space where we can pray for people for healing because that might be a moment where we go, God's kingdom is breaking in and some of you might be healed. Or deliverance, like people being set free from demons. It might be, might be even the, like the peace of God. I love the peace of God. Oh, man, I love it so much. The peace of God is a foretaste of his kingdom. And we keep looking and we keep, we keep doing our best to stay attentive and, and seeing how we can partner with Jesus and his kingdom or to be kingdom, kingdom agents. You know, seeing if we can uh, invite the Holy Spirit into people's uh, like difficult life situations or, or circumstances. But sometimes, sometimes the kingdom of God, the inbreaking of kingdom of God might actually look a bit like a party. It might be a bit... Like, like a big banquet where we celebrate together, where we feast and celebrate together. So as Zoe before mentioned that next week we're going to have a time for, for testimonies, hearing people's stories, and then after that, a shared lunch, a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Right? So make some real good food because it represents heaven. Um, no pressure, but this is like this is what this is what we can do. And actually, uh, I mean, by testimony, it might be it might be. I was thinking about this this morning. A testimony might, might be an old story. It might be um, you know, if you're old like me, it might be about when you came to Jesus, or it might be something that's happened recently. It might be uh, the story of how you came to know Jesus, or it might be a story of how you've seen Jesus um, in in, you know, in your life, like change your life or somebody else's life. Actually, there's no old and new stories when it comes to what God is doing. You think about these stories of reading from the Bible. They're 2,000 years old, but they're still fresh. Fresh for us today. There's old and old, new stories. So if you do have, do have something you want to share, short and sweet is good. Long and preaching, um, less helpful. But if you've know, got something short and sweet that you want to, you want to share, then come and, have, come and have a chat with me. Love to hear lots and lots of stories. And if there's no testimonies, then we'll just go straight to lunch. <laughs> it could be a right, eh? So let's continue reading Luke 5, reading from 36. So, okay, remember, I mean, my mind is, my memory is like a goldfish, eh? So where we were at, we were just talking about uh, weddings, fasting, feasting, yeah. Then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For, for then the new garment would be ruined, and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. 
and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins, but no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. It's <laughs> a cool picture, eh? So this is by a, 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 Georg, a Georgian painter. And you can see the, the man on your, your left, he's carrying a, a wineskin. The other guy is a bit smarter. He's got a barrel of wine. But in ancient times, goats, goat skins were used to hold wine. And, and as the fresh grape juice fermented, the wine would expand and the new wineskin would stretch. But a used skin, if you, if you tried to do this in a used skin, that would break and your wine would end up all over the floor or all over this guy's back and you'd be grumpy. <clears throat> this, is a, this is an illustration, this is a parable. It, Jesus wants us to understand something and guess what? It's not about clothes and it's not about wine. The, the old wineskin or the old clothes, they represent the old covenant. The Ten Commandments we talked about before, the Ten Commandments, the rules and requirements, the, the sacrifices, the routines that God had communicated to Moses, all the practices and, and the ways of living that the Pharisees were so keen for everybody else to obey. Another word for covenant is testament. The Old Testament, so we've got the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The old, the old Testament, the Old Covenant wasn't fit for purpose anymore. What Jesus was doing, what God was doing, needed, needed a New Testament. It needed a New Covenant. How could Jesus eat and drink with sinners? How could he heal people on the Sabbath? How could he talk to a Samaritan woman? How could he touch people with leprosy or even dead people? and not be defiled by that. The, the way that the old covenant was interpreted by the Pharisees couldn't handle what Jesus was doing. This is like, this is like the old wineskin with fresh wine. Tom Wright, the bish. Oh, no, that wasn't bishop. Tom Wright, bishop, Tom Wright. He puts it like this. Try to fit Jesus' new work into the thought forms and behavior of John's movement or the Pharisees' movement, and all you get is an explosion. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Instead, you need a new wineskin. So the new wineskin is about what he's doing, about setting up the new covenant. Like this morning, we, 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 we came to the table and we, and we took the bread and we took the cup and we said, this is the cup of the new covenant. The, the basis for the entire Christian church for the last 2,000 years until Jesus returns. The new covenant of Jesus means that all of our sins are dealt with and that Jesus continues to work on our behalf. It means that we can go right into the presence of God without fear of our past being exposed, which I think is amazing. I mean, if you're, if you're a politician or a hopeful politician, I'm not sure if I recognise any politicians here today, but, you know, and you want to get elected to parliament, then, you, then uh, you might be worried about something you did 20 years ago coming to light, right? You might go, oh, my goodness, but if I did this thing, I've got to make sure that that's deleted off Twitter. Was Twitter around 20 years ago? It feels like it. I don't think it was, but got to make sure that that kind of stuff has got it, you know, because if that ends up in the public eye, then my, um, I'm toast. But, so that's what our culture's like, but 
We can go right into the presence of God, who is the ruler of the universe, who is the king of kings, and we don't have to worry about what we did 20 years ago or even this morning. Like Robert Holt, he caught a plane this morning, but he can still go in. <laughs> Grace, isn't it amazing? This is the new covenant. And it's because of Jesus, because of his blood. You can go right into the throne room of God without fear. Like Hebrews, the book of Hebrews unpacks this a lot. It's such a, such a brilliant, brilliant book. Just reading from Hebrews 10, 19, it says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, It was Siri, John. <laughs> She's gone now. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Where were we at? <laughs> and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood. It's like we've had a shower. I love having a shower. With Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. If we, if we can accept it, then the new covenant changes how we see ourselves and relate to God. But, but remember, if we go back to that passage there, some people, it says here, but no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. So we've got to go, oh my goodness, we've got to actually accept this new covenant. We've got to accept it. Otherwise, we're going to get tied up in knots like the Pharisees and all kinds of religious difficulties. The new covenant changes how we see ourselves, and it changes how we relate to God. The new covenant, if you keep reading in Hebrews, it talks about how, how it rewrites our hearts, rewrites the script of our hearts, the story that's erupting from within. God's ways become embedded in our core. It's like a, having a new operating system, which I've got on my iPad, and it's not helpful today. But... <laughs> It's like a new operating system. It's a fundamental shift from the inside out. And this has massive implications for how we live our lives. Because we want to be people of integrity who are the same on the inside and on the outside. And so we need to put into practice what God has done and is doing in our hearts. And, and we, we need to work it out. So this is not um, this is not private inner life stuff. It connects with with everything. It connects with how we see other people and how and how we treat other people. Like like Jesus, like Jesus. And you know, like you might you might be a Christian already. And so if that if you are, then then God has rewritten your heart like that. But if you're like me, then you have. It's still difficult, and you still have days, moments, where you just don't want to do the things that you know are right. 
Give me a wave if you can relate. <laughs> okay. So what's going on there? I I think it's a little bit like I think it's a little bit like a car, like an old car, and a car has been designed to drive somewhere. And if you've got a like a Toyota Corolla like mine, then that is like a premium car. You know, 2004, that is going to go places, and it's going to go places fast. But sometimes with old cars, sometimes with old cars, they, they don't want to do what actually they're designed to do. And my Corolla's not like this. But sometimes the cars, you've got to you know, push start, you know, you've got to jump start them. You've got, to, you've got to encourage them to do what they're designed to do. Does that make sense? It's a little bit like what's, the, what's written on their hearts they don't want to do. Or the Apostle Paul says, um, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so we kind of got to go, oh, okay, what's within me has actually been rewritten. I've got this new covenant written on my heart. I'm a, I'm a new creation. I'm a new person in, in Jesus. I'm, I'm like fully forgiven and, and freed to, to, do, uh, you know, to do the things that he did. Sometimes we need to jumpstart, actually, our flesh. And so Hebrews 10, let's keep going. Hebrews 10, because that's where we are. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That's what I'm trying to do, trying to motivate us, right? Let us motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. In other words, let's keep trying to live this stuff that's in here or in here out there. Let's keep looking for ways to, to partner with God and His upside-down, unexpected kingdom, like doing love, doing good works. And, and let's, let's value the simple and maybe a little bit mundane sometimes act of, of gathering as church, gathering as the people of God. And let's keep encouraging one another, like building one another up and lifting one another up. I mean, this is like one of the the, the superpowers of, of church communities. Because in a, any kind of in a church community, you've got people, some people that are like, like they're, you know, they're, they're doing really well. They're like, they feel like they're, they're close to God. And, and on, the, on the same day, you've got other people who might feel like they're, they're distant or they're struggling. But we come together and the, and the one who's strong can encourage the one who's weak. And one day that person who's feeling weak is going to be strong and they'll be able to encourage the one who's, who was strong as they are feeling. Yeah, we're all up and down like that. What Jesus, what Jesus was doing, and this is all I've been doing is like looking into chapter four and five of Luke. What Jesus was doing was like so fundamentally uh, revolutionary. It's, a, it's amazing. And, and, he, and, he, and the way that he, that he changes us and he, and he calls us to be people like him. I haven't talked about the wine. I've talked about wineskins. But in the context of what Jesus is doing, I think, what Jesus is saying, I think the wine is, is what, what he's doing. Does that make sense? Like, like the spending time with that or, the, or the, the, the forgiveness for people like Matthew and the tax collectors, forgiveness for people like you and me, the welcome, the healing, the setting free. Do you, do you know what Siri came up with? This <laughs> is so awkward. Okay, Siri tells me that the kingdom of God is about uh, movies and stuff like that. Well, let's stand and we'll pray. And um, 
and I'll turn Siri off before next week. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for thank you for your the covenant, the covenant that you set up in your blood. Thank you that that, that you did. You did with your body and with your life what we cannot do. Thank you that you've rewritten history. Thank you that you rewrite the stories of our lives. Thank you for the new wineskin. Thank you for the wine. Thank you for your spirit. Holy Spirit, sometimes you are, you're talked about like wine. And we, we thank you because, because you, are the, you are the one who, who works in us, who works us, who works us and, and molds us from inside out, from the inside out to be, to reflect the people that, <laughs> to reflect how you want us to be. God, I'm struggling with words today. We just thank you so much for your goodness, God. Thank you for your love. Help us, Lord, to uh, to see to see what you're doing, to see what the Father is doing, and and to and to know how to uh, how to how to work with you, how to take hold of your hand, Lord. Whether it's a uh, you know here in our gathering, or or when we go home in our in our families, in our neighbourhoods, in our schools, Lord, in our workplaces, walking along the streets of Wellington or Potiroa or Lower Hutt, wherever we are, Lord. And forgive us, Lord, where we we're a bit we become a bit like the Pharisees, Lord. Help us to be free from that, God. Help us to um, keep our eyes on the new, on what you're doing, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. I hide here under your shade.